All right. Well, welcome, everybody. You're welcome to grab a seat. Again, I love uh, the opportunity for us to say hello and to meet each other. Uh, for those of you that have never met me or I've never met you, my name is Prentice. Uh, I get the privilege to be lead pastor here at Bethany in West Seattle. And I just want to welcome you, whether you're here uh, in person or you're watching online, regardless of where you're watching, we're just so thankful that you tuned in this morning. Uh, this morning, we will continue our series uh, on the fruit of the spirits. Uh, and what we've been doing each week is uh, unpacking uh, certain elements of the fruit. And as a reminder, it's one fruit, okay? It's not several different fruits. In the original language, it's one. It's a singular word, uh, and it contains many elements. And this morning, we will be talking about the element of kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit empowers us and calls us and seeks and desires for us to be kind. And what a message that we need to hear from God today as more and more kindness has been so diminished. And so we are so glad that you came <coughs> Excuse me, this morning. As a reminder, again, we will be having communion. So if you uh, didn't grab one of these, we'll have somebody uh, grab one of these for you. Uh, if you're watching online, it's a good opportunity uh, to grab uh, a cracker or a piece of bread or juice uh, or wine, no judgment, whatever you want to grab, you're welcome to grab that uh, for the end of the service as we share as a community uh, the communion together. Uh, and lastly, or actually there's two more things. Uh, one, uh, Bethany Community Church, uh, all six locations, we have a partnership with a coffee shop in Shoreline. Uh, and the coffee shop is called uh, Black Coffee Northwest, who does wonderful things for the community uh, and empowers BIPOC people, uh, uh, black, indigenous uh, people of color. And it does a wonderful thing for not just our city, for our state and and the messaging, really amazing things around our community. And, and they were vandalized, and again, for the third or fourth time. Uh, and so some folks from our church and their community, not to center ourselves, but we went and, and helped uh, rebuild the door that was broken down and, and shat someone through a rock in there. And so all that to say is, May we continue to uh, not only pray uh, for Black Coffee Northwest, our, our partner, our friends, our brothers and sisters, uh, but also to support them. Uh, you know, we, I had a meeting yesterday with a couple folks, and I was like, you know what? I know this is inconvenient, but <clears throat> how about Black Coffee Northwest? And so, and actually, it was actually their idea, too. And so we're like, okay, let's drive over there, uh, and it's just a fantastic time. So please check them out. Uh, whether online or uh, go to the actual coffee shop, delicious coffee. For those of you that know me, I'm kind of a self-proclaimed coffee snob, and so it is good, I promise you. Secondly, as we get started, uh, and, and this is with permission I share this, um, there's a family in our church that have, has been involved. They're here this morning. Uh, the Parks, he, uh, Jason played played music here, and uh, they've been a huge part of our community for for many years, even before I got here as a pastor, they were here. And so uh, as of recently, uh, 
Jason uh, has been dealing with health issues to say the least. And so uh, I just want to invite him up and really the whole family. Uh, maybe the kids are downstairs. They have two kids, uh, Daphne and Warren. And so what, what I want to do is I just want to give them an opportunity to just share just a little bit of what's happening and for us as a community to pray together, not just, not just limited to today, uh, but as we move forward in our lives. We truly believe that our community, we, we are a church uh, not only of family, but uh, of community and of prayer. We believe in the power of prayer unashamedly. And so for those of you that might be new, that might be new to church, this may even feel or look or sound different, but this is what we do as a church. We love, we come around, and we surround each other, uh, calling on the Spirit to work and to move and to do something. So uh, as Jason shares and Camille shares, may we just believe on behalf of, of the parks and for them and with them. And so with that said, Jason, thank you for sharing. Uh, why don't you come Hello. It, um, so, yeah, sorry, the kids are, they just escaped and like ran off for Sunday school. Yeah, so they were really excited about that. So, but we do have a six-year-old son, Warren, and a four-year-old daughter, Daphne. You might have seen them around running. Um, and so just um, to share really quickly, um, yeah, so health concerns. Um, I, I uh, was treated for brain cancer 12 years ago, and it came back. Um, it wasn't supposed to because of the kind of treatment that they have for it. Um, so even the doctors were really shocked, and my case is very unusual that it's even considered almost like a case study. Um, and so they don't even really know how they're treating it. They're doing something new. Um, oh, yeah, that helps. And so um, they're adding, th the regimen of chemo is different than the la last time I, last one I did. So it's uh, very challenging. Um, I'm in the two weeks right now where I um, feel okay, decently. Um, but the two weeks right after each cycle is horrendous. Um, and it, it's awful, and I go back from my third cycle, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, for five days, inpatient. So, um, we, Camille and I, we really appreciate, we were kind of, not absent, but yeah, like we were, we, we had trouble making it here for the past two years because of like scheduling naps and with the kids and little ones and having to drive up and everything, but we um yes we were we were there remotely and also um we found that like um once snaps were over there we th this community meant so much to us and we wanted to be a blessing to you all in whatever way possible um in whatever capacity and so we wanted to do that and we were we're so grateful to how how y'all have welcomed us back um and so we really appreciate it. And yeah, uh, prayers um, to, I, sorry, I'm going a little long, Hyung, but um, everything is on Camille right now. Um, 
everything. She is taking a lot. And so if, yes, prayer for me, but then also pray for Camille that she is the breadwinner and also doing a lot. She does a lot. Um, and so she takes on a lot. So pray for Camille specifically. Um, yeah, just to reiterate what Jason um, mentioned, uh, he's been sick for about two years next month, and um, we didn't know what it was until this spring. So it's been a long journey, and we've had a lot of um, prayers and support from our church family, and so thank you for that. And um, we still have a long road in front of us, and um, just grateful to be here on the Sundays when Jason can be here, and uh, we're with you here in spirit when we can't be here in person. So thank you so much for your support and prayers. I'll stay up here for a second. We, we want to pray pray for you. And, and I just, I, I thought of something as, as I was growing up in my church. I grew up in a uh, Korean-American church uh, with a lot of Korean traditions. And, and one of the ways that the Korean-American churches pray is that, uh, well, reach out our hands, and this is for many churches, uh, and typically we would gather and surround them for obvious reasons. We're not going to do that today, uh, but what we used to do in our church is we'd put our hands out, and we would just pray on our own, but together, if that makes sense, and so for just like even a minute, it may be in silence, it may be even out out loud. Sometimes we would go into church and everybody would be praying at the same time, as loud as they can, Jason. I know that you might be familiar with that. Uh, but, you know, they would reach out their hands and they would just pray and just cry out to God uh, as loud as I can. And there would be like 50 to 100, 150 just voices just coming out. And, and maybe that, that's not the expectation this morning, but at the very least, if, if I can just give our congregation, you as individuals, to just reach out your hand if you're a person of prayer here to pray, and I'll give about a minute for you to pray for the parks, Jason, Camille, and also Daphne and Warren, their children, and I will also then end uh, with closing this off in this time of prayer. So let's do that for just a minute. God, we've come before you as, as a church and, and more than that as a, as a family. And we pray for the parks, all of them, Jason, Camille, Warren, Daphne, as they have to navigate this season of, of Jason's health with this cancer coming back. God, but we do believe that the power of prayer is real. And so right now, we just pray that you enter into this space and you provide healing. We, we ask you to provide solutions. We ask you to provide direction so that he may be whole again. So God, we pray for the physicians and, 
and the doctors and his care team that you would uh, bring them wisdom and discernment and know exactly what needs to happen. We thank you. We thank you for technology. We thank you for wise people. We thank you that there's so much advancement in medicine. And we ask that you continue to do what you do that is beyond medicine, that is divine, that is holy, that is even supernatural. So we just pray uh, again as a family and we believe with them and, uh, and on their behalf. God, we thank you that you have just been there bringing their source of comfort uh, and this, uh, this peace that transcends all understanding. We pray for Camille, that as she has to uh, do a little bit more, God, would you just give her continual energy and strength and opportunities and the kids that they will just feel so cared for in the midst of all of this, that they will experience their childhood, and, and yet they will, they will know that there's something going on. And even in the midst of that, would you just give them a sense of joy and peace? God, we thank you for this opportunity to pray. May we continue to pray, not just today, but throughout our days in the several coming weeks. As Jason continues his treatment, God, would you just, would you just give him a, a, a space and a place of rest and confidence in you? In your name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you, Parks, for sharing. Thank you for being here. And uh, I've gotten to know them, and I love, I love hanging out with them. I love seeing them. I love talking to them. So if you have an opportunity to say hello and, and meet them, you will be blessed. So with that said, as we continue, our, our text comes from Mark, chapter 5, verse 25, verse 29. And the word of the Lord says this. Now there was a woman who has been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhages stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. That is the word of the Lord. A few months ago, speaking of the parks, we got a call, and this was pretty much in the middle of the pandemic, and I actually didn't get permission to show it, so I hope this is okay. Uh, but a few months ago, they, they, they called, and... They were like, hey, Prentice and, and Maria, I, we just want to drop off food for you. We know that in this pandemic, you must be going through a hard time. It's not, a, it's not an easy season. Uh, and so we want to drive up. They live down in the Puyallup area. Uh, and they're like, we want to bring you food. Uh, and we're like, oh, yeah, well, sure, we want to see you. We'll take it. And, and it is a huge blessing. And and, then, and in the middle of this, we knew exactly what was happening. We were in communication, so there was nothing new uh, about the news around his health. And so uh, they, they did it. They came over. They dropped off food, and then that was it. They left. They just wanted to bless us. And I remember Maria talking about it one day, and she just started. My wife is Maria, by the way, who, who's not here uh, this morning. But 
she was crying. She was absolutely in tears. And, and she was saying to me, uh, this is a time when we should be blessing the parks and we should be coming over and dropping over food and we should be doing this. And yet, even in the midst of what was happening in their own lives and the health things that they're dealing with, they thought of us, drove all the way over to drop off food because they thought we might be going through a little bit of a challenging time during the pandemic. And, and I would say in the midst of that, what we were going through was pure at best, a sense of annoyance or even inconvenience compared to what I would imagine what they're going through. And I remember Maria just breaking down in tears and her saying, that was so kind. That was so kind. And when I use the word kind or kindness, I'm not using that word interchangeably as what we often do today as someone just being nice. Someone just being perhaps positive or even polite. I'm not talking about that soft sense of nice that, uh, or that soft sense of kindness that many of us have, have used in, in many ways, including myself. I'm speaking about the kindness that Scripture talks about. I'm speaking about the kindness uh, that, that Jesus modeled for all of us so that we may live in that way, in that sense of giving away kindness like the potters. In Galatians 5.22, as we've been unpacking it says, Paul says this, that the fruit of the Spirit, by contrast, is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Kindness is a Greek word, christostos, christostos. And, and the word, that the, when it's written in the Bible in the original language, it's meant and defined as someone who offers good or who does good uh, that does not expect anything back in return. Kindness means that we do something. We offer good to the other, even if it comes with a cost. Kindness is a sense of surrendering. Kindness is sacrificial in nature. We give something up on behalf of others. We give up our time. We may be giving up our own expectations. We may be giving up resources and even finances and money. We, we may at times give up our own ego and our own sense of self. It's putting others before yourself. That's what Paul again meant in Philippians 2. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, in humility, which is, which is a key word, consider others better than yourselves. And again, as last week, there's a, there's a sermon, there's a time and place to talk about boundaries and accountability. Uh, that's not what we're talking about this morning. And so just know that there is that. Uh, but in the sense of kindness that Jesus talks about and models and asks us to be with each other is a sense of surrendering, surrendering and giving up of ourselves. And, and it costs us something. It's inconvenient. Uh, it's disruptive to our lives. And it requires us considering the needs of others even before our own needs. 
And I would argue in this highly individualistic, capitalistic, consumeristic culture that we all live in and perpetuate, this includes myself, this, this conversation around our own freedoms and our own personal rights, because of all these things, this type of kindness is quickly diminishing. And, we, and we've seen it. It's been around forever, but we've seen it highlighted in the last year, year and a half. One columnist uh, for the LA Times says this, the culture, and he calls it toxic individualism, has deep roots. A good piece of it is tied to the cultural legacy of manifest destiny and the settlement of the West, the myth of the up-by-the-bootstrap pioneer who helped tame, tame the inhabited West. Never mind that the land was already inhabited by indigenous peoples, and never mind, as historian Greg Grandin points out, that the nation uh, building was not the work of rugged individuals working alone, but a lot of people working in tandem. This idea of individualism, our personal rights, our freedom, what we are entitled to, what we deserve, what we want, our consumeristic nature, our self-centeredness. And again, I'm talking about myself as much as our culture has diminished this idea of kindness. Again, not just being nice and not just paying compliments, but this sense of kindness where it is self-sacrificial and it requires something, a cost of us, that is slowly and, and actually quickly disappearing in our relationships, in our society, in our culture. And as a result of this, what this columnist would say, toxic, which I would agree with the word toxic, individualism, I would say as a result, we see three different types of dangers. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but uh, just, something, just some that I've seen and maybe you've seen in your own lives as well. First, uh, again, as I mentioned, we often make the mistake of using the word kindness and nice synonymously, interchangeably. But I would argue they are not the same. I would argue that being nice is actually fairly easy, believe it or not. Give somebody a compliment. Maybe help somebody as long as it doesn't cost you anything. Even saying hello or, or, or giving a smile, that's considered being nice. Asking how someone's day is, even though deep down inside you don't actually care to listen, that's technically being Nice. Listening to somebody, even though that you want, you're, you're so bad, you're just itching to say something back, even just that moment of listening is actually considered something nice, and maybe you do this. I know I do this. There's times where someone is talking to me sometimes, and I would confess oftentimes my own wife, talking to me, and I want to say something so bad, I don't even register what she just said. Because after she's done, then I go, which I wanted to do the whole time. But listening, that seemed nice, right? It's easy to be nice because it doesn't cost us anything. But being kind is different. Being kind requires sacrifice. Being kind is often experienced as an interruption in our day, in our life. Because it's putting the needs of others before our own selves. And because of this, uh, this mistake of using the word nice or any synonymous with nice and mixing it up with kindness, we feel like we're already both. 
And so we don't even need to work on it. We don't need to work on the practice of kindness because we think we're already doing it when we're really not. Secondly, we associate kindness oftentimes with weakness. This is the way that I grew up. Being kind is considered being soft. It's considered being weak. And therefore, not only should we not be kind because it is a a demonstration of weakness, we should actually do the opposite. Oftentimes, we're actually encouraged, instead of being kind or even nice, we should actually be mean-spirited. We see this in full effect regarding even political discourse, especially in the last year and a half. And really not just that, even, even beyond that, in, areas, in, in any areas of disagreement. We don't know as a culture, as a society, how to disagree in healthy ways. We just don't. We're oftentimes in this polarizing society to pick a side. And the other side is, are the villains and the side that you choose and when the group that you're with, the tribe that you're with, are the heroes. We're oftentimes, you got to pick a side. I hear words, especially again in the last year, year and a half, words like snowflake or fake news or Biden this, Trump that, Republican this, Democrat that, anti-mask, anti-vax, being accused of being a sheep. All the way down to straight bigotry, racism, and sexism. We've seen this. I've actually personally seen meltdowns in grocery stores over wearing masks. Just the other day, I saw a video of a fight at a Mariners game over vaccinations. And if I'm being really honest, if we're having like a family conversation this morning, Christians. We've been some of the worst lately. I feel like many of us, and again, anything I say to you, I say to myself, oftentimes I feel like we've turned into monsters. When we are encouraged, not only encouraged, mandated to be the light of the world, we have perpetuated darkness because we refuse to be kind. Sorry, I'm getting a little amped up right now. And third, we expect something in return. The first danger of this is that we mistake nice with kindness. Second is that uh, we associate kindness with weakness, and therefore we are encouraged to actually be mean. And, and lastly, what I see a lot is that kindness, when we, when, we, when we expand or when we give kindness, it's always or oftentimes with an expectation of something in return and self-serving. I remember, well, really this happened a few times. Maria and I will get into a conflict, an argument. And, you know, finally, you know, I know we both don't like this space, and so I will choose to be the, the bigger person and I'll choose to be the loving husband, and I'll choose to do the right thing, and I'll go up to her, and, and before I go up to her, in my mind, I'm, say, I'm saying to myself, you know what, this is dumb. I don't even know what we're arguing about anymore. Ever have any of those arguments, maybe not just with a spouse or a friend or a family member, that you go through an argument, and, and there's so much resentment, uh, you know, built up in so many different narratives in your mind, that at the end of the day, you don't even know what the argument is about. You just know that you're upset. That's oftentimes, or sometimes, or oftentimes, where we get. And so there was a there was a time where I'm like, you know what? Forget this. This is dumb. I'm going to go up and I'm going to apologize. 
This happened just a couple weeks ago. And I go up to her and I said, hey, you know what, let's talk. And, and I spent a moment kind of naming my own stuff, naming how I contributed to, to our argument, our conflict. And then I said, you know what, I am so sorry. And, and in response, and I'll never forget this, her response was, thank you. And I remember thinking, thank you? Thank you is not what I was expecting in return. Here's how it works, okay? I name and I confess all the ways that I messed up, and then I say sorry. And then what's supposed to happen is she's supposed to say the, all the ways that she may have contributed and say that she's sorry, and then we live happily ever after. That's the way it works, and you see, uh, what I didn't realize is she needed more time to process. She wanted everything to be genuine and authentic and, and maybe even further follow-up conversations. But me, I came in because I wanted to be kind. But was I really being kind? Because in my own disguise of kindness, I wanted something back in return. I wanted her to say sorry. I wanted her to name the ways that she also messed up so then we could be all messed up together. But that's not the way it worked. Being kind, it's hard. It's challenging. It's a practice. It's a skill set. It's a spiritual discipline. And it's something that we must all work on, especially if you consider yourself a follower of Christ every day of our lives. And we see this in, in the passage that we read in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. We see that Jesus not only calls us to be kind, uh, but shows and embodies kindness himself in his life. Here's the context of, of the passage that we just read. In the few verses before, in verse 21, it says this, when Jesus, has, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat, uh, to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus's daughter because she was so sick she was about to die now something about Jairus uh, we read that he was a prominent leader in the church uh, in fact in the original Greek the word leader is actually uh, president he was one of the presidents of the local synagogue in other words Jairus was a big deal he had power he had resources he had influence he had status people knew who Jairus was and so you can imagine that's no surprise why it said there was a huge crowd following to see what would happen because Jairus is a big deal and this person of so much status goes up to Jesus and says hey my daughter is sick will you come and help because somewhere around the, uh, along the way, we don't know if Jairus was a Christian or a believer as Jesus as the Messiah. But at the very least, Jairus knew the stories of Jesus and that he had the power and the authority to heal. And so here Jairus is saying, heal my daughter, please. And Jesus says, okay. And, and they're on their way. And there's like an entourage of people following because they want to see what is about to happen 
to this person named Jairus who they respect and see almost as a famous figure. And you can see what that does to even Jesus' own stock. You heal Jairus' daughter, the Jairus? Let's, I want to see this. So they're going. And yet Mark, the writer, does something so weird. In the middle, right in the middle of them walking is the story of the bleeding woman. The woman who has been hemorrhaging, it says, for 12 years. And so just imagine with me, Jesus is with Jairus and an entourage of people because of who Jairus is. He's walking along, and all of a sudden it says that somebody touched him. Someone touched his cloak. And because this woman who was bleeding for 12 years had no answers for her health, they know what was happening all of a sudden, because she touched his cloak, she believed that she would be healed, and she was healed. <clears throat> and Jesus turns around and says, essentially, who touched me? It's almost as if that he was angry. But what we realize is that Jesus wasn't angry. He wasn't angry at all. As a matter of fact, here's what happened. Later, it says, immediately aware that the power had gone forth from him. This is Jesus talking. Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? If you were that woman, it, it, it almost feels like you would be afraid, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm about to get reprimanded. Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, <clears throat> you see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? What he's saying, what the disciples and his friends were saying is, Jesus, who cares who touched your cloak? Let's just keep going. There's no way we're going to know. I don't know how many people. There are dozens or hundreds of people. It could have been anybody. Let's just go. Never mind, Jesus. Let's just keep walking. So he looked around uh, to see who had done it. In verse 33, chapter 5, verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, this is Jesus responding, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And then Mark, as an interesting writer, then goes back, and then they're on their way to heal Jairus' daughter and heal Jairus' daughter. But I don't want the point to be missed here. There's a juxtaposition that is happening. Jesus was on his way <clears throat> to heal this prominent figure, and yet he takes the time to, to, to turn around and to look for the woman who touched him. And, and my assumption is that Jesus, at the end of the day, knew the implications of that. You see, in, in Jewish rituals and laws, Blood was considered ritually unclean. And so then, therefore, by default, this woman was considered ritually unclean. And not only was she unclean, and that's the end of the story, there was bigger implications to that, even spiritually, emotionally, and, and even socially. Because when you are ritually unclean, for whatever reason... Uh, then whatever you touch and whoever you touch, that person or that thing also becomes ritually unclean. And so you can imagine for the last 12 years, this woman has been isolated. This woman not only has been isolated, but shunned and even outcasted from society. Never had been, in 12 years, 
touching somebody, affection. And, and, and don't, don't forget and don't lose this point. In the midst of that, Jesus takes his time. Yes, it was an interruption. Yes, it was distracting him from doing this big job of, of healing Jairus' daughter. And yet in the midst of that task he had, he had at hand, he stops and he helps this woman who has been sick, who, who has been socially outcasted, who probably is even going through her own sense of guilt and shame and even frustration, as it says in the Bible, that in 12 years nothing worked. And yet Jesus may not use the word kindness. Mark the writer might not use the word kindness. But we see that demonstrated in Jesus' action. He didn't care about necessarily the status. I mean, yes, he ended up healing Jairus' daughter, but it wasn't about the status. It wasn't about the fame that even he would receive, even the benefit that he would have gotten out of it. There was a person in need. She was healed. He turns around and blesses her, acknowledges her, sees her, honors her, and says, you will be made well. Go in peace. Your disease is healed. Jesus stops for the woman. Jesus stops for you. Jesus stops for us. And we see that as the biggest example on the cross. The cross is the major example, the pinnacle of example of what it means to be kind, to be self-sacrificial, to give and to surrender. On our behalf, Jesus dies on the cross for us. And out of that death, life, death, and resurrection, Jesus calls the church, us, to then show to others that same kind of kindness, that we would surrender, that we would be sacrificial, that we would see others' needs before our own. You see, being kind to somebody, offering kindness, offering goodness, again, maybe it's words, maybe it's actions, whatever it is, kindness has no expectations. In an argument, you don't have to have the last word. When you give something away, you don't have to post it on every single social media avenue so you get the recognition for it. Kindness is something we do because something that was done for us and to us by the grace of Jesus. Kindness breaks down walls. Kindness restores relationships. Kindness restores us. Kindness is more powerful than any other mean-spirited thing you can say to anybody. Several years ago, when I was living in California, there was uh, a trial that I was watching on TV. Uh, and it was a trial. It was really more of a sentencing of this horrible criminal who took many people's lives. And for some reason, they, they televised this part where the person was sentenced, he was going to go to prison. But before that, the, the families of the victims were allowed to come up and say things and how that they were impacted because of the life that was taken by this person. 
And so family after family, this went on for like two, two and a half hours. And you can see it. Everybody was angry. And they would, you know, things would have to be beeped out. There would be threats like, you know, or I wish you would die. You're going to rot in hell. I wish I can climb over this podium, you know, and just calling this person all these mean names and, and all these things. And the camera would point at, at, the, at the criminal and you would see him even kind of smile in this evil way and even grin, and even, like, mock the people that were talking. And then I'll never forget this. Towards the end, there was a grandma of the victim, tiny, older lady, who barely can walk up to the stage or or to the podium. (laughs) And she says, "Uh, Sir, I am a Christian woman, and because of that, I love you, and I forgive you. You took my granddaughter's life for no reason in cold blood. And she says, I love you and I forgive you. Offers kindness. And the camera pans to the person. And this person who is laughing and mocking and making light of the whole situation, all of a sudden stops, looks sad, and starts crying. Starts crying. The power of, yes, it's the power of forgiveness. It's the power of God's love flowing through her. But it was the kindness that was offered. Easily she could have been saying, I hate you. Uh, I wish all these things for you. But instead, she offers kindness. And that kindness broke down whatever hard-heartedness that was in the criminal. And he starts breaking down in tears. Kindness breaks down walls. The opposite of that builds it. There's an old adage that says, hurt people hurt people. So when we don't experience our own kindness, when we don't experience uh, love and acceptance, we project that, and we oftentimes we hurt other people. But I would also add that if hurt people will hurt people, I would also add that loved people will love people. And so my hope this morning is that you would understand first and foremost that the root of our kindness, our love, our forgiveness, our hope and desire to reconcile any broken relationship first stems from the understanding that you are loved, I am loved, and the cross is a demonstration of the ultimate love for us. This sounds so elementary and so basic, but many of us, we need to hear this. You are loved. God loves you. Doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what you've been through. Although God honors that, God sees that, God sees you, values you. No matter all of that, God loves you. That's it. God loves you, period. And if you truly understand that, and my hope is that you do, and oftentimes I forget myself, maybe because of my own shame, maybe because of my own guilt and my own insecurities, I forget that God loves me unconditionally. And the moment that I forget that, uh, I become the, the old adage, hurt people hurt people. But the moment you understand and realize and embrace that you are so loved by the God of the universe, 
My hope is that that love transcends into loving others, to being kind, no matter what. In a world that has been taught for us, that teaches us to be unkind, and a lot of us, we experience the unkindness. And so what happens when we experience unkindness? We fight back with unkindness. But I promise you, even in the midst of unkindness and evil towards you, kindness will break down walls. Kindness is more powerful than the other. May we be kind and without expecting anything else from the other. And we know that kindness is a habit. It's a spiritual practice that needs to be grown, that needs to be practiced. One author and theologian says this. When we exhibit the kindness of God, we are tender, benevolent, and useful to others. Every action, every word will have the flavor of grace in it. I love that. Every action, every word will have the flavor of grace in it. To maintain this attitude towards those we love is hard enough. We all know that. To express kindness towards those who are against us requires the work of God. That is why kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Be kind. Jesus was kind to us. Be kind to others even those to those that make it hard for us to be kind to. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. I love that, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Kindness heals. Kindness makes things well, is what Jesus says. Kindness changes and transforms relationships. Kindness changes and transforms you in me. And I learned this. I remember when I was first starting at Bethany Green Lake. This was like six, maybe seven years ago. There was a person in our church that left, and I met with them, and I was like, hey, you know, no hard feelings. Yes, you're leaving. I would, is there anything that you want to share? Is there anything that we did? And I remember sitting down at that coffee shop, and I remember he said, you know what, I'm leaving and I'm going to a different church uh, because I feel like Bethany as a whole, uh, we don't talk about hell and God's wrath and this hellfire brimstone kind of theology. And, and I will say all of that is in there. And maybe to some degree that, that is correct. We, we probably don't as much as we should. <clears throat> and I said, well, yeah. I think that, you know, we are a church that leans more towards grace. We want to be known for kindness. And, and I remember his response is, I, I, yeah, that's good and everything, but I need to know that I am scum, or I need to know that I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and, and I need a savior. And, and, and to some degree, I think he's not wrong. You know, we are all sinful people that need a savior. But there's something almost sadistic or masochistic about just needing to be just torn down and, and this mean-spirited type of theology. And so he goes to a, a different church, and he went to a different church, and, and that was great. We're all on the same team. I get it. There's different churches for a reason. And unfortunately, and this is unfortunate, and sadly, that church, a, a pretty large church, ended up 
shutting down and closing its doors. And, and I've hurt a lot of people on the way because of the lack of kindness. And so I want to say this as I invite the worship team back up as we enter into a space of communion. And may we be a people, a church that is known for kindness. Not just being nice, not just pays compliments, not just smiles when it's convenient, but, but for us to sacrificially, with surrender, offer goodness, again, whether that's word or deed or both, without anything back in return, without any expectation, but simply because we want to be like Christ. Simply because in this dark world of mean spirits, of unkind words, of breaking people down, of division, of absolute violence and hatred towards one another, in the midst of that, may we overcome all of that with the power of being kind to others where our words and our actions have a flavor of grace in it. So at this moment, whether you are sitting down at home or you're here, I would love for us to take out our elements, the ultimate demonstration of kindness for us as a church. Where when Jesus sat with his disciples, he said, this is my body that was broken for you. And then he took the cup and he says, take this cup, drink. This is my blood that was shed for you. Kindness, sacrifice, self-surrender for the other. And we are the other. And so in light of that, may we as a community take this together in remembrance of that. So at this moment, let's take out the tablet, the, the cracker, and we'll take it together as a community. This is Christ's body that was broken for you. And on the other side, this is the juice, his blood that was shed for you. Let's take together. Let's pray. God, thank you. For your life, death, and resurrection as the ultimate embodiment of kindness. May we live into that. that we receive to others and that kindness may be words, might be deeds, it might be forgiveness, it might be encouragement, it might be giving of something, of our time, of our resources. Like you, Jesus, who is interrupted, maybe it, it requires us being interrupted and being okay with it. We thank you for your kindness. Empower us, remind us and strengthen us to do that for others, especially in such a broken and divided and polarizing world. 